Good morning. This is Jake Brown, and I'm the preacher at Liberty Christian Church in beautiful Madison, Indiana. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m., and you can find us at 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. We love to meet new people, and we love to make ourselves available to help others learn the true story of who Jesus is, what he did, why he did it, and how to personally get in on the story. Well, it's just about time for the sermon to start, so turn up the volume, tune out the distractions, and it's my prayer that you find this morning's message engaging and meaningful. This morning, we're continuing on in our message series on the book of Ezra. This series is about the returning that we all need to be a part of. To understand this concept of returning and what it ought to look like, we've been putting ourselves in the shoes of these ancient Israelites that we find in the book of Ezra. These Israelites had been defeated by foreign armies, taken into a lengthy period of captivity, and now in the book of Ezra, they find themselves with an opportunity to return, to return to Jerusalem, to rebuild the house of God, and to reestablish proper worship to him. And the book of Ezra, among others, shows us what that return effort looked like. Well, now we, as Christ Church today, have a returning to do. We were all but defeated by what effectively started back in March of 2020. We were carried off to a mental state of COVID captivity. And now we find ourselves faced with an opportunity to return and to reestablish proper worship and service to God. It's time for us as Christians to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of flying in circles until this virus is gone. We weren't commissioned for that. We were commissioned by the Lord to stand up to any and every enemy, any and every trial, any and every sickness, any and every obstacle. We were commissioned to face all of these things with faith and trust and an attitude of victory in Christ. As the old hymn says, there are souls to rescue There are souls to save. Send the light. To get back to doing what we've been commissioned to do, we're looking at this returning that needs to be made by us as the Lord's church today. This morning, we're going to tackle chapters 7 and 8 of the book of Ezra as we work our way through a message called People and Providence. People and Providence. Here's the big picture that I want you to see this morning. God uses people and providence to accomplish his will. God uses people and providence to accomplish his will. Now, knowing this, we should, number one, offer ourselves up as willing instruments to be used for his glory. Got it? Offer ourselves up as willing instruments to be used for his glory. And secondly, we should trust him to provide and guide in such a way that he is glorified. Got it? We should trust him to provide and guide in such a way that he is glorified. If you haven't done so already, I want you to open up your Bible to Ezra chapter 7, and let's see what's going on here. Ezra chapter 7, let's read the first five verses to start. The scripture says, Now after these things in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now let me pause for just a second and just point out that this is undoubtedly a different Artaxerxes from the one mentioned in chapter 4. So this is likely, we think, 57 years or so after the events of chapter 6. So around the 458 BC time frame. Got it? Now after these things in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, there went up Ezra 
son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. So what have we discovered so far? Well, we've been given the lineage of Ezra, up to this point in the book, we haven't heard the first word about Ezra, the person. Finally, some information about Ezra, right? And it's some pretty important information, too. We learn that he's a descendant of Aaron, the chief priest. Now, under the law of Moses, all priests had to be descended from Aaron. So Ezra comes from this background, a background of priests, those who studied the law, knew the law, and performed the law. But let's keep going and see what else we learn about Ezra, the person. Ezra chapter 7, verse 6 now says, This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all he requested, because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. So what else do we learn about Ezra, the person here? Well, we learn that he was in Babylon. He's called a scribe. He's uh, said to be skilled in the law of Moses. And we also learn from Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, how he came to be so skilled in the law of Moses. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10 tells us that Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now, listen, there's a surefire way to become skilled in God's word. Set your heart to study it, to practice it, and to teach it. There's an application right here for us. Learners are the best returners. You got that? Learners are the best returners. You see, certain people are prone to having that desire for God to use them, but they're spiritually lazy. They don't want to study God's word and discipline themselves to actually practice his prescribed way of life. And maybe it's easy for you to get excited about this returning that we keep talking about. You're ready to get back to the way things were, or better yet, the way things ought to be. But are you ready to put in the work? God might use a person like that. God might use an unbeliever too. But if you want to be used by God in, in mighty ways, to, to the highest potential possible, you ought to become a learner. You need to put down the TV remote. You need to put down the smartphone, put away the magazines, schedule at least a couple of hours each day to study the Word of God. Not just read it, study it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. Like Ezra, who set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it, we need more church members, far more church members, to set their hearts on learning as we're returning. Also, like Ezra, we need far more who set their hearts on living what they learn. Guys, this is not optional. God hasn't just delivered his word uh, hoping for us to, to know it just expecting us to know it, to read it, and to understand it. He requires that we live it. James 1.22 says, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So let me tell you, your life may require more than a refresh. Your life may require a complete remodel. You may need to knock down a, a wall that keeps you from righteous living and open that space up for holiness. You may need to take a door that was leading to worldly passions and lusts and relocate that door to a, a much better spiritual place for you and your family. Our returning will go much better 
if all the returners set their heart to become learners. But let's continue on with Ezra's story here. Verse 6 also says that the king granted him all he requested because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Now, we might wonder, did Ezra actually ask the king for help in returning to Jerusalem? And those are the requests, all the requests that were granted to him? Or was this like a, almost like a Joseph and Pharaoh situation where perhaps Ezra was actually employed by the king and treated very favorably by him? Honestly, we can't say for sure. But you know what I'm far more interested in? The very last part of verse 6, it says, because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Whether it was that Ezra was always treated so kindly by the king or that Ezra was treated kindly in this one specific situation, returning to Jerusalem, we know that it was because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. We know that God was using this person, Ezra, and we know that God's providence was at work because the scripture tells us his hand was upon Ezra. God was working this situation out to accomplish his will. God was providing for Ezra in such a way that Ezra could actually do what God wanted to use him to accomplish. And as always, what God was working to accomplish through him was for the greater good of all his people. Now, before we go too far, let's talk about what it was that, that God was actually using Ezra to accomplish. In verses 11 through 26, we have recorded for us the original text of King Artaxerxes' letter to Ezra, giving him permission to lead a group of exiles back to Jerusalem. Back in chapter 1, you remember, uh, we read about a group who returned to Jerusalem and, and rebuilt the house of God. Now we have a second group here returning to Jerusalem under Ezra's leadership here. In verse 13, Artaxerxes decrees that any of the people of Israel and their priests and the Levites in my kingdom who are willing to go to Jerusalem may go with you. That's what he says to Ezra. So, so it's already apparent that God is using Ezra to lead more of his people back to Jerusalem. The temple's been rebuilt, and now others are going to come. And through their participation, proper worship of God will be uh, further reestablished, if you want to say it that way. And we don't have time to read the whole letter, but let me point out some of the highlights uh, of this letter from Artaxerxes to uh, Ezra here. Uh, this letter uh, that highlights God's providence in this situation. I, I mean, everything that is said just shows that God is working in this situation. First of all, as we already said, Artaxerxes gives permission to take, uh, gives Ezra, I'm sorry, Artaxerxes gives Ezra permission to take with him any Israelites who want to return to Jerusalem. Anybody who wants to go and worship God can do that. Secondly, in verses 15 and 16, the king puts all of his and his counselor's freewill offerings of silver and gold in Ezra's possession to deliver to Jerusalem. He says, here, you guys take it. Artaxerxes gives Ezra some instructions on how it's to be used in service to the temple, but he also says any extra can be used however Ezra sees fit. Thirdly, in verses 21 and 22, Artaxerxes decrees that all the treasurers who are in the provinces beyond the river are required to give Ezra whatever he needs, up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of oil, and salt as needed. Now, this has been estimated to be equivalent to 650 pounds of silver, 1,160 bushels of wheat, 900 gallons of wine, 900 gallons of oil, and and like a good plate of scrambled eggs, salt as needed. But Artaxerxes isn't done yet. 
In verse 24, he gives a complete tax-exempt status to everyone working in the house of God. He says, it is not allowed to impose tax, tribute, or toll on any of the priests, Levites, singers, doorkeepers, Nethanim, or servants of this house of God. But Artaxerxes still isn't done yet. In the very next verse, verse 25, he gives Ezra the authority to appoint magistrates and judges to judge all the people who are in the province beyond the river. Do you understand what this means? The king is giving Ezra the authority to appoint whoever he sees fit to lead this entire area west of the river. That's some pretty serious power. But I got to say it one more time. The king is still not done. In verse 26, he says, Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed upon him strictly, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of goods or for imprisonment. Can I just conclude my thoughts on this letter by saying what verse 6 already told us? The hand of the Lord was upon Ezra. God was making it possible for Ezra to accomplish what he wanted him to accomplish. And much like the scriptures told us back in chapter 1 that God was stirring up the spirit of the king, once again, God is clearly doing some work on the king of Persia. This time, King Artaxerxes here. And in verses 27 and 28 of chapter 7 here, Ezra gives thanks to God. He gives thanks to God for his obvious role in all of this. Listen to Ezra's own words here. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart to adorn the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, and has extended loving kindness to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. Thus, I was strengthened according to the hand of the Lord my God upon me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Ezra is being used by God. Artaxerxes is being used by God. And it's all for his glory. It's all to accomplish his will. God's providence and his desire to use people, to allow people to carry out his will, to carry out his purposes. These things are on full display here. God's providence and his use of people. You just can't miss it here. Now, there's another application here for us. God is going to work it out. God is going to work it out. I want you to know that this is not just something that happened in the Old Testament. Okay, it's easy to get caught up in thinking that the Old Testament version of God was just always working in situations to accomplish his purposes, working in uh, big ways, small ways. We see it so clearly. We see his work so obviously in the scriptures because we often get to see the end result. We get the narrated version. We get to hear God's play-by-play, -play, and we can't imagine how anyone would have anything less than bulletproof faith. How could they not trust God to work it all out the way that he wanted? But we have a tendency to make it a little more complicated when we start looking for God now, working in our life, providing in our situations. It doesn't need to be complicated, though. We don't need to wonder if God is watching us and, and working in our situations. The New Testament makes it pretty clear that God is still very busy in the lives of his people. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, if you love God, you're part of his church, you've accepted the call, God is causing all things to work together for good. Now, Romans 8.28 does not mean every situation is going to turn into something really good. 
Sometimes God can take your suffering, your heartache, your pain, and use it to strengthen your perseverance or to bond you closer to him or to draw you closer to a a brother or sister in Christ. You see, sometimes things are going to be downright bad. But what you and I need to do is trust God and to believe him when he says it's all working together for good. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to believe God. We're expected to do both. So learn his word, live his word, and trust that God is working everything out. Let's continue on with Ezra's story now. Chapter 8 begins with Ezra's list of those who went with him to Jerusalem. We see a record of almost 1,500 people that took off with him, uh, that started the journey. But as we learn in verse 15, there were no Levites present. Ezra notices this, and he sends a group of guys to a nearby town to find some Levites, some Levites to act as ministers in the house of God. And they were able to come up with some guys, almost 250 Levites actually, uh, willing to come along and to serve. Now listen to Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through 23. Ezra writes, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for us, our little ones, and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way, because we had said to the king, The hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him. But his power and his anger are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our entreaty. So Ezra here has gathered the troops at what we might call a staging area, you know, a place to gather and prepare for the journey ahead. They were all there together at the river of Ahava, and Ezra calls for a fast. He calls for a fast because he recognizes that he and all these people need God's continued providence to make it from where they were all the way to Jerusalem with people of all different ages including children and with all those valuable articles, the silver and the gold, free will offerings, and everything else that they were toting along with them, embarking on a four-month journey like this pretty much made them sitting ducks. Raiders would have just been waiting for a hit like this. And did you notice what verse 22 said? Ezra isn't going to ask the king for military protection on this. He's going to count on God to provide and to protect So calling for a fast was a great way to get everybody on the same page, to bring everyone's attention to the fact that they need God's protection. They need God's protection if they're going to make it safely to Jerusalem to do the Lord's work there. Now fast forward to verse 31, and Ezra tells us, Then we journeyed from the river Ahava on the twelfth of the first month to go to Jerusalem, and the hand of our God was over us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and the ambushes by the way. So God did it again. God's providence was on display, protecting his people from the enemy and the ambushes. They made it to Jerusalem. We hear uh, at the end of the chapter, they delivered all the goods that they were transporting. They offered sacrifices to God when they got there, and they even delivered the king's decree to all the powers that be beyond the river. So one last application here for us very quickly. God returns the returners. God returns the returners. We don't know what happened to those who chose not to go with Ezra, those who chose to to stay behind. We we don't know what happened to the Levites who didn't go with, with Ezra to Jerusalem to serve. But we do know that those who truly sought to return, 
Those who left everything behind and risked their lives to make the long journey back to Jerusalem. Those who clearly wanted nothing more than they wanted to, to return to proper worship and service to God. Those folks made it. The women, the children, the husbands, the priests, the temple servants. God returned all those who wanted to return. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, we've been assembled by God, called by him, saved by him, and placed together as his own people to offer up service to him, to proclaim his excellencies. And if we now seek to return to him, if we seek to come out of this state of COVID captivity, to return to proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, he's going to see us through. He's going to return the returners. As for those who don't take it seriously, those who just don't see the importance, those who just don't feel like they need to be involved in this returning, well, much like those in Ezra's story, I can't really say what will happen. So let me encourage you to get involved. In fact, I'm imploring you to leave everything behind, lay aside every encumbrance, detach yourself from whatever's holding you back, fear, anxiety, uh, stress, divided allegiance, whatever it may be, and make the return. Make the return with the Lord's Church right here at Liberty. As we finish things up here this morning, I'd like to ask those of you listening on the radio right now the most important question that any of us could ever be asked. It's a question that each and every single one of us needs to be able to answer honestly. Here's the question. If the Lord were to return today, do you know for sure, no doubts whatsoever, that you would go to live with him forever? Do you know for certain that he's gonna let you into heaven? Can a person even know? Well, I've got good news. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, the Apostle John writes that we can know. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, that's good news. I want to know that I have eternal life. Now, let's back up just a little bit, and I want to show you a reality that's in the scriptures that we need to deal with. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, scripture says there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So according to the Bible here, somebody's going to get in trouble when Jesus returns. Somebody's going to pay. Who did this passage of scripture say was going to pay the penalty of eternal destruction? Well, there are two groups listed, right? Number one, those who do not know God. And secondly, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, maybe you know God. I hope you do. But let me ask you this, have you obeyed the gospel? 
Before you answer that, let's make sure we know what the gospel is. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel is the power of God for salvation. But what is it? What is the gospel? We know what it does. We know uh, the power that it holds. But what is the gospel? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, the Bible interprets itself here. The, the Apostle Paul writes, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So, there are three main statements that make up the gospel. Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, Christ was raised on the third day. The Bible teaches us that his death paid the price for our sin, and his resurrection made eternal life possible for us. So now that we understand what the gospel is, let's get back to our question, how do we obey the gospel? I want to read Romans chapter 6, just verses 3 and 4 for you, and I want you to listen and see if you can hear all three parts of the gospel being played out here, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The Bible says here in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Did you catch that? Did did you find the three parts of the gospel there? When we are baptized, the Bible says, we are baptized into Christ's death. When we are baptized, the Bible says, we are buried with Christ. And finally, when we are baptized, we are raised up as Christ was raised from the dead so that we too will walk in newness of life. Now folks, the Bible makes it clear you must believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. According to several scriptures, for instance, Matthew 16, 16, John 1, 1, John 1, 14, John 8, 58, Colossians 2, 9, and Hebrews 1, 8. According to those passages, we learn that Jesus is the Christ, the one who would come to save us from our sins. We learn that he is the son of the living God. We learn that he himself is God, one of the three distinct personalities that make up God. And we learn that he is God the son who came to earth in human form. Folks, we must hear the gospel and believe it. We must trust Jesus completely. We must make a distinct turn away from sinful living and toward God's holiness and righteousness. The Bible calls this change in our behavior, repentance. We must confess our belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And of course, we must obey the gospel through baptism. That's where we're immersed in water by the authority of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is indeed where we are baptized into Christ's death, into his burial, and raised up to newness of life by the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from death. 
And Acts 2.38 and Acts 22.16 make it clear that at our baptism, our sins are forgiven, washed away. 1 Peter 3.21 literally says, baptism saves us. Galatians 3.26-27 teaches us that through faith and as a result of our baptism, we become children of God, clothed with Christ. So let me ask you again, if the Lord were to return today, do you know for sure, with no doubts whatsoever, that you would go to live with Him forever? If you haven't obeyed the gospel, please know that we would love to talk with you about your situation. We would love to answer any questions you have. We would appreciate the opportunity to discuss with you the costs of following Christ. If you're interested, keep listening, and we'll tell you how you can get in touch with us in just a moment. I'm Jake Brown, and on behalf of the church, I want to thank you for listening to today's broadcast. If you're in the area, I want to encourage you to join us in person at Liberty Christian Church at one of our Sunday services. We meet at 1030 a.m. each and every Sunday morning at 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, there are a few different ways that you can do that. Just call 812-273-1518. Or you can also reach out to us on Facebook, or you can send us a message directly from our website. Now, speaking of our website, if you'd like to hear this message again or to listen to other messages, just go to our website, www.liberty-christian.com. But again, we'd love to have you join us in person if you're physically able to do so. Jesus created his church as a body of people. His church is a family made up of sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have been called to meet together regularly. The pattern that we see from the church in the Bible is that they met every Sunday. So if you're able, come meet with us next Sunday right here at Liberty Christian Church in beautiful Madison, Indiana. We love you, God loves you, and it is our prayer that he will bless you this week as you seek his truth.